Welcome to the B&E Podcast with Brandon Colby-Cook and Evan Schulte. Exploring the creative process and finding the balance between artistry and industry. Entirely uncut and unscripted. did there with the old theme song except I did it with my voice yeah you I think did. Yeah. yeah was that the theme song it, I, I was that's what I was going for oh nice um our theme song our theme song nice yeah uh hey everybody <laughs> uh th- you you have tuned into the B&E podcast as the um sexy voice at the beginning of, oh it's of it sexy. sexy yeah uh <laughs> introduces us um, <laughs> and, uh, Oh, I thought you were talking about yours, but no, no, hers <laughs> oh, is much yeah. sexier. <laughs> yeah. Hers is much sexier. Um, but who knows? I don't know. There could be somebody out there who's, uh, who's like that Evan guy. He's got a sexy voice. Could be. Yeah. Could be. And they do all kinds of things <laughs> on the other end of this. Uh, <laughs> who knows what's on the other end of this? Who knows? <laughs> who knows? We can only imagine with great delight and horror. Yeah. Um, so yeah, today is, uh, we've got our, our topic lined up. Um, we don't exactly know what we're titling this one as of this moment, but we um, know the topic, but area. yeah, yeah, we know the, the general, uh, direction that we're taking this one. And this is all about, uh, the knowledge that we gain, um, the limitations to knowledge and how do we actually turn knowledge into wisdom? How do we actually become wise in our, in our lives and, and in our art and in our work? How does that all, how does that all happen? Because, mm-hmm. and what's maybe, I guess the distinction between those things as well, because there is a distinction between them. They're not the same thing. They're related. Um, and knowledge is sort of a means to wisdom, but not necessarily. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think of, I think of knowledge and teaching and mentorship as direction. It's not, uh, it's not necessarily what to see wherever mm-hmm. you end up. Um, and I think teachers go awry when they tell, when they tell students what to see. Um, yeah. I think that, you know, and that's why I always kind of lean more in the mentorship idea, whereas a mentor will direct you to go do something, but they won't necessarily tell you how it will go or what will come of it. But you, you have enough faith and trust in them that they're leading you down a path where you'll discover the results. Because I think if you have a mentor that just tells you what you'll get all the time, you never really learn because they ruin the ending. It's like watching a movie yeah. and then they've already told you the ending. So you're not watching the movie and getting the experience of it. You know, like I'm not going to yeah. say what happens in the sixth sense or fight club or something like that, or unusual or usual suspects. I mean, yeah, yeah. but like you need to watch these movies and experience them. Yeah. There's many others like that. But if I told you the ending, then it would ruin your first experience of it. Yes. Yeah. And then and, and there could still be something that there'll be another movie that comes along that will give you a similar kind of experience, but you won't have gotten it from that one. Right. Um, which is, 
interesting. That's like, that's very much with like a lot of the, the wisdom and, and the things we learn in our lives. Like somebody can, and, and it's like this thing, people will tell you things over and over and over again, you know, like things that are indeed wisdoms, but when you just hear it, it's, it's just an idea. It's just a thought. And that can definitely take root in you and you can ponder it and what have you, but it, it takes an actual sort of, you know, rubber to, to the pavement. It takes an actual experience of something to make you actually go, Oh, right. I get it. You know, because I think wisdom is something that actually changes you. Mm. Like knowledge is like knowledge is very useful and it can help. Like you said, it can help direct us. It can help point a direction for us, but, but it doesn't necessarily change us. Mm it can be a catalyst to change, but there's something else that needs to happen in order for knowledge to become wisdom. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that that's what's important to bring up to you because like, you know, in this podcast that we do and, you know, I think we've filed this, we categorize it as like learning or whatever. And learning is great. And you know, in some ways, yeah. And, and in some ways, I guess we do try and, and teach to a degree, but there's a a large element to which it's like, well, but these are just, we can only take people so far with this podcast, you know, like we can maybe plant an idea, which then has to, people have to turn into something out there. Right. But it's, but like, you know, you won't necessarily get anything out of this. This net, your, your life isn't necessarily going to be changed listening to what we're saying on this podcast. Right? No, the, the podcast and what we say alone isn't necessarily going to change your life. Maybe perceptually it might, but then it's what you do with those perceptual shifts. Right. Yes. You know, know, and I think that like, I think that I was going to say this. So when you're a little kid, you're a sponge. You're just going to soak up information. It's really easy to learn because you don't really filter and you just kind of take it in. Everything's learning. Everything's new. So everything's learning. And you, it's really good in certain ways because you can just take in so much information. Problem is you don't have very good filters built. So you can take in a lot of um, not great information, stuff that's not so good. Right. Say certain judgmental information. Maybe you have a family member or a friend who's racist and, or had some type of racist influence. Now they're telling you that. And as a little kid, you can't discern whether that's actually a legitimate thing or not. So Mm -hmm. you develop racist ideas, even though they're not your own, that there's something that you've been taught, right? So you might not even have had an experience with another culture or race that's negative, but they did. And so they're telling you that. And so then what happens is you start going out in the world and you might start filtering for that and trying to prove what they taught you is true Mm -hmm. and it might not be. So this is the, this is the flaw where, you know, we have a kind of a teaching where people are not always mindful of what they're sharing. I think what Evan and I try to do on this is come from the place of like, this is our opinion. This is kind of what we think. But at the same time, I always discover something new on the podcast myself. Yeah. I, you know, I come in with it as though like, these are my ideas. This is what I think. And I throw them up against you. And if you don't totally tear them down, then they might stand a little bit of ground and you're only one person, but 
um, at least because we're having a conversation, I don't just get to like speak directly and say, this is the way it is. And this is how it should be. Yeah. But I think also as you get older, there's a, there's a, I wanted to say this too. There's, you get filters, you get more intelligent, you get experience, you start to learn what's true and what isn't and all of that. And so, you know, (laughs) whatever, you know, whatever, um, your filters are, your filters are really good at like helping you discern whether information is good or not. And your experience, you can tell if a, if a teacher is actually a good teacher or a mentor is a good mentor. When you have none, you don't really know. And this is how I know this because when I was younger and I was in actually elementary school, we had a teacher and, you know, I believed just about everything she said. And it came out later that she was lying a lot of the time, (laughs) which let me just be honest, really fucking pissed me off Mm. because it put into question, but, and maybe this is a good thing, but it put into question everything I ever learned from her. So it felt like I took a whole year of my life with this teacher because it was pretty young. It was only grade six or five. I don't know, somewhere around there. Right. So, you know, we were with a teacher the whole year. You weren't, you didn't have different teachers. So you're with them the whole time. And it came out that she lied and, and about a lot of stuff. And I, I remember thinking like, why, like, why did you need to do that? And it really kind of made me start questioning everything that anyone ever told me. Mm-hmm. I started to go, this person could be lying to me because this person that I trusted lied to me. But that was a really good awareness to have because until you have that awareness, you don't know to ask the question. Well, it's interesting because like the, everything that you're saying, it's like you ex- had this experience of somebody lying to you. Right. And that actually became wisdom. Exactly which you totally get my which point. The, get, the roundabout way the of roundabout, learning knowledge. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, it's like, like, well, there's knowledge, which is like knowledge is like in this circumstance is knowledge is somebody being like, Hey, be careful. People are, are, will lie yes. or people will pass off their opinions as truth. And you go, Oh, okay. All right. And then, I mean, this is cause it's kind of really nice that this happened at a young age, right? Because right. it's like when you're young, you're very impressionable to like, lots of things, including things that are very simple. Um, but you have this experience and, you know, you probably had some degree of knowledge about lying and, and what have you, but through the actual experience of somebody who was in a, in a trust position that you just kind of blindly put trust into a teacher Mm -hmm. or something. Um, and then through the experience of discovering that they were lying about things to you, you gain wisdom to say, it's like, wow, I can't trust people even in positions of authority over me. Right. That not everybody knows everything and that I have to question and that I have to weigh things for myself. That's real wisdom. That's the difference between somebody just saying like, watch out, people lie and being like, Oh, holy shit. I get it right? And, and it becomes, and it changes you, right? That changed you, that affected you in, in, in a way that changes the way that you go about in your life. And I think that that's kind of like an initial, what, like what we're talking about here mm-hmm. is that's the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Yeah. I mean, and that's, you know, and that's the thing is like, that's kind of, I think the thing about wisdom is that wisdom doesn't always come the way we want it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like it comes in weird ways like that where it's like, well, 
So now I have to question everything I learned in like, like, well, outside of maybe the class curriculum, outside of that, all those opinions, all those ideas, I had to question every one of those. Now I had to really go like, where did that come from? And, and some of them probably didn't catch, which that's what pisses me off because, you know, I mean, maybe they took me a long time to figure out, Mm -hmm. but like, I, I, I really trusted this person. I mean, I was, I was a kid. I just, they were a teacher. I just thought that they really knew what they were talking about. And, um, I guess, uh, you know, the, the thing about wisdom and experience is that it often comes in ways that are not always easy and comfortable. And they come in sometimes backhanded ways like that. And that's probably served me that, that ironically serves me so much in my life now, because I hear the political news. I hear people talking and I'm just like, my bullshit meter is just like fucking tuned right in. And I'm just Mm -hmm. like, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Really? Maybe let's like, let's like double check this. And until someone, you know, and, and like I shared on the last podcast, I trust people. And I also trust not to trust people, but I trust no one can ever take away my trust. When any data that I've ever collected, like data like that, that's data. I know, I trust that some people will lie. That's something I've learned. That's hard earned life experience knowledge, you know, wisdoms. Right. And so the thing is, is that I, I want to say too, as we move through this talk and I want to just lay this groundwork again, because we're kind of on this, we will go on trends. Never let yourself ever believe you don't trust. Let me just say that, you know, you can go find this own, your own life wisdom about this, but this is my personal opinion, my, my hard life experience that I've had. Don't ever let anybody deceive you and you decide that you don't trust people anymore. That's bullshit. Yeah. You, you always trust. You simply either trust the person to tell the truth or you trust them not to, or you trust the fact that you don't know whether they will tell you the truth or not, Mm -hmm. but it's not, it's one of the three, really. It usually comes down to three, but your trust, your belief never is. It's unshakable. I used to think that people could actually cause me not to trust anymore. Not true. I still trust. Even if I don't trust you, I still trust my lack of trust in you is a certain kind of trust as well. Mm -hmm. And I think this is really important because as we get into this conversation, you know, I want to talk also about the, the the false narrator, the false prophet. Okay. You know, the false, let's go back biblical a little false prophet (laughs) is the person who would preach a religion or a belief or something that was simply to manipulate or yeah. skew people's minds into to swindling control. them, controlling them, doing all sorts of stuff like that. Yeah. You know, they, they refer to in the biblical time, I think like Lucifer or whatever is being like, you know, and like, yeah, something like that false prophet or something like that. What's the whole, well, I mean, I, 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 maybe I, don't, I, I don't know I'm entirely, but no, it. I, 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 but the, the whole concept of the, the false prophet or whatever, but just, yeah. Like a, a person who's a cult and, leader. Yeah, I guess so. I, I guess because <laughs> the, the, the name Satan in biblical sense, actually you, the, the, the meaning of it means the, um, the deceiver. Right. Um, well, yeah. So, so the deceiver, so, but yeah. like, yeah, like a, like, you know, just some, like people who are dishonest, people who are manipulating people who are intentionally, you know, deceiving themselves or others. Um, there, well, and then there's, there's the deceiver, there's the deceiver who does it with intent. And then there's the deceiver who does it ignorantly. 
I mean, mm. some people will see a Facebook post and it, they'll read the title of it and they'll think, Oh my God, this is so crazy. And they'll share it. Or they'll even read the article and they won't fact check any of it. And they'll share it with all their friends and they become the false prophet. But they don't even realize that they've helped promote a lie, Yeah, you know? And, um, that's, you know, that's something that we're trying to work on with social media right now in our whole culture. We're trying to, you know, get people to don't just believe headlines, look at the article. If there's something in the article that really emotionally charges you, then go and check that out first before you just trust that article. You know what I mean? And, and it takes work, but, but you know, hopefully people are beginning to do that more. I mean, that's been a big thing recently. Um, it's, it's interesting because I've heard it said, I think it was Elizabeth Gilbert, like one for podcasts or something like that. And she had said that she thinks that now we're entering because we've been in the information age for a while now, and we're still very much in that. Like there's tons of information. There's tons of knowledge out there at our fingertips. Um, and now she's, and she says, she's like, I think now we're beginning to enter the age of wisdom Mm. where, you know, there's all of this information going on out there. It's like, well, what do you do? Like there's, there's almost too much. There's almost so, so much of it that you have to begin to then go, well, hold on. What do, where do I ultimately sit with all of this? Where do I, how do I feel about all of these things? You know, really beginning to, um, check in. I've, I saw another, uh, I'd watched just like a big think talk and I can't think of who, who it was now, but, uh, they, they had, um, I think they were like a Harvard professor or something like that. Check it out. But it was, it was about, um, how to like, how to like protect yourself from all of like the, the stuff in the media, like all of the propaganda, all of like information. Yeah. Not necessarily like the false information, but like just, you know, the, just the, the onslaught of information that just like can be so wearing, Mm. you know, like mentally, emotionally, like just, all of the headlines, the things that we're talking about here, you know, it's like that it can be really hurtful. And I would just on a side note, I recommend people try and disconnect from those, like their Facebook feeds and Twitter feeds for like some time every week. Um, yeah. if not trying to do just more so daily, but, um, the thing is they're saying like one of the, the big things and not getting basically too swept up in all of it is, um, and also being misled as well. That was, that factors into it is, you know, you read the article or you read the headline and it's like, and then you actually take a moment to say, how does this align within my senses? Hmm. How do like with my own values, what, what does this, how does this speak to my own values? And that's an important thing to do. And this is also part of what I think this conversation is about is wisdom is, is doing that, that check with yourself because nobody can, you know, be wise for you. Right. Nobody can give you wisdom. 
That's the thing. Wisdom is something that, that you have to acquire for yourself. Um, but it cannot be given. Uh, it can, there, wisdom can only be tried to be expressed. And the moment that wisdom is, is expressed, it's tried to be communicated to people. It becomes knowledge, Mm. right? Like it's, there's, there's a certain limitation to it. The moment it kind of leaves the source, even if that person has really has it as wisdom within themselves, the moment they speak it, it's knowledge. Mm. It's like, I know this, but ultimately you have to learn how to know this for yourself. Right. And so this is one of the things about when you you're taking in this information, you ultimately have to weigh it with yourself, with your own sense of values in, in your own life. And when you do that, then you begin to acquire wisdom. Right. Yeah. I think with, um, with wisdom too, is like, you know, yeah. When you share your wisdoms, they become knowledge. I think when you have a certain amount of life experience, you have wisdoms you might not recognize or not, but you can recognize wisdom in someone else when you have a certain amount of wisdom. You know, people don't, Mm -hmm. don't always know how wise something is until they have a certain amount of wisdom. And sometimes you have a wisdom, but you don't necessarily know how to articulate it, but then someone articulates it and you go, Yes, exactly. That's exactly it. But you knew that because you experienced it, but they articulated it the right way through their own wisdom experience. Mm-hmm. And my hope is that with this podcast is that we're not just sharing knowledge, we're sharing life wisdoms. And through our life wisdoms, someone else out there is going, yes, that's it. You guys articulated or you had a discussion yeah. and you figured out I, I've already experienced that. And I get that to be true because I yeah. could, but I just couldn't articulate it or I never really thought about yeah. it that way. Right. That's still something that happens within the person. Yes, though, exactly. Right. Like it's, so that's the thing where knowledge and wisdom actually come together, where knowledge yeah. actually, the wisdom was already there. You just needed the knowledge to fill in the wisdom in a sense. Yeah. You know what I mean? Whereas when you get like, when you're a little kid, you're getting knowledge without wisdom yet. So, you know, you, you are basically, you're riding a lot on faith as a little kid. Yeah. I mean, really like it's just faith. I mean, like that teacher, I didn't, I say I trusted, but I didn't really have dad on that teacher. So I had faith in that teacher, Mm -hmm. but then it turned out that I started to find out that that particular teacher was not so trustworthy, which was, you know, which also made me question all my teachers. But then I had other teachers, which I, you know, trusted a lot more because, you know, I found them to be very like honest. And, and also as I gained more wisdom, I could connect with that. Um, but I think like you gain the wisdom of what a good teacher is. Right. Yeah. And, and, um, you know, and I think like, this is a funny thing about like, we need to go out and experience life. Like my whole, you know, not this, I'm trying to promote this shit, but in my, in my filmmaking school that I currently do, my aim is to get you, I'll teach you how to make a film and you will make the film as I teach you. But it's not one or the other. You don't, as you're making the film, as you're going through the process of like doing it, I will teach you and share my wisdoms. There's not one or the other. And when a student tries to do one or the other, you know, sometimes it's mostly one or the other. It's they'll go off on their own and they'll be like, I'm just going to make my film and do my own thing. They'll usually run into problems because 
film is a complicated thing. Yeah. And the, and the greater the production, the more complicated it gets. You generally run into a problem somewhere. Mm-hmm. Then they'll come back to me when they have a problem. I'll give them some wisdom. So they'll deal with that. Some people like learning that. I actually like that. That's great. Yeah. Some people just want to read the book and learn the information, but not actually go and do it. Yeah. That's the student that's hard to work with because they'll be book smart. They'll, they'll be, they'll well, know how to lots of theory. repeat what I can say, yeah. but they won't have applied it. And so, um, I find that those types of students or clients are not as, uh, effective because they can be so swayed by someone else. Who's what I call a false prophet, someone who's never really gone out and made films who can kind of just say, Oh, well, you know, blah, 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 this or that. Like they read it in a book. Yeah. And you know, I always find it funny. Like this last couple of years, like last few years, I guess doing the whole professional screenwriting thing, scripts gotta be 90 pages. It's gotta be 90 pages on the indie level. You can do a little bit longer, but you, you know, they want short. Just makes sense. The p- teachers who are still teaching like independent filmmakers to make 120 page scripts. It's just, you, you don't have the experience. You're not like in touch with what's going on here mm-hmm. and you don't comprehend why that matters, which is the problem, Yeah, you know? And so like, here's the thing. Let me just kind of give people an understanding so that they kind of know what I'm talking about. If it's going to cost you, let's just, let's go bigger. Let's say it's going to cost you a million dollars to make a film. You have a million dollars. Someone's going to give you that. So theoretically you're going to spend 750 grand on your film. Okay. And then the other 250 or so, or maybe 300,000 is going to go into uh, post-production or whatever. Let's say 10% of it's going to go into like your marketing and distribution because you're independent and you don't have that yet. And you're going to need some money to figure that out too, for posters and going down to the American film market or some other market and whatever. So you got a million dollar budget, but you only have about $600,000 to spend. First of all, if no one ever told you that, you might spend all your money on your production and then find out you have none in post and be like, Oh my God, I don't have enough in post. I'm screwed. Yeah. That's why you have a good mentor and a teacher, someone like myself, or there's many other people who are in the industry who can teach you the same lessons, but to take 30 to 40% of your budget and just understand that you should really consider this might be post money, not production money. Right. right? So then you got pre-production money. you got above the line money, you got whatever. Yeah. Eventually you just break it down. You have a few hundred thousand dollars to make for your film, right? So you got a few hundred thousand dollars to make for your film. When you're thinking about making a film at a million dollars and you're thinking about making it at a few hundred thousand dollars, it's a different thing. I mean, that's a, that's a lot less money to work with. So then the mentor teacher comes in and helps you have perspective on that. Then yeah. you go out and you do it. You, you know, I always say to students, you should always create at least a 10%, at least like a five to 10% contingency reserve fund. Out of, yeah. So if it's a million dollars, you're going to take, you're going to take a hundred thousand dollars and that's just going to be stored off to the side. That's not going to anything Yeah. because that's, that's, that's basically we're in trouble money. Yeah. And you need, we're in trouble money because almost every production at some point or another goes over budget. And if you don't, yeah. great, you didn't spend it. You can figure that out later, you know, but it's better to have the money at the end of the day than to have not enough and need to ask or beg for more. Yeah. So I can give you that kind of knowledge and experience when you go out and you make a short film. So that's what I try to get people to do. I get them to make a short film for maybe, maybe it's a thousand dollars. Maybe it's $10,000, whatever. 
they go and they use that similar strategy based on the million dollar type thing. When you realize the effects of going over your budget, when you've done a $10,000 film, you can start to have context and experience for what it would mean if it was a million dollar film. Mm-hmm. Cause getting an extra grand might not be too hard. Getting an extra hundred grand. Not everybody can do that. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, that's why you need to have a little of the life experience of actually making a film and seeing what it's like and seeing how quickly the money can go yeah. so that you know what you're dealing with. Right. But in, but if you just read it in a book or you just hear me say that it's all just good ideas. Yeah. Right? You know? And, and, and so when you experience it, you start to think, okay, well, you know, you know, if you want to have a career as a filmmaker, you're going to start to think about that. Now, here's the point I was going to make about the scripts. And this is my final point of this. Yeah. Why would you make a 90 page script instead of a 120 page script? Well, 30% less script to shoot 30% less, less, uh, pages, less headaches, less locations, less actors, less complications. Mm -hmm. 90 pages cost less. How much does a 90 minute movie make and a hundred uh, 120 minute movie making a theater, the exact same amount of money. Yeah. <laughs> so make a 90 minute movie instead of a 120 minute movie. Cause not only is it three fourths of the work, it's less of a chance for things to go wrong, less chance for you to go over budget and it's tighter. And anyway, the film will probably be better just because it's tighter mm-hmm. and you'll make the same amount of money at the end of the day anyway. Yeah. So, and so theoretically, cause it's three fourths of the length, the quality of the 90 minutes will be better than the 120 minutes. So these are all the reasons why we do it. And so when I, when I, when I see a screenwriting teacher teaching students to write 120 page scripts, I like immediately go, you're not in touch with the industry. You couldn't be, or you're not aware of how this works. Yeah. I mean, maybe if you're writing for a studio, different scenario. Okay. But if you're doing this independently, if somebody is fronting the bill as like a person or a little small company, it's just how it works. But this is like, this takes like knowledge and experience. Like people could have told me that when I was younger before I made films, but it was like going out and making a film and, 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 and watching the money burn and, and, and feeling the effects of that and figuring out how to find a little extra money out of my pocket so I can finish things and just kind of going through those things. And I've been on many films with many other people and watched them go through things like that as well. You start to learn, okay, well, how do we, how do we, how do we get ahead of the curve here? How do we, before problems arise, how do we think so that we're not stuck? So like, if you really want to make a million dollar film, what you might need to raise is a 200, 200, $2 million of budget. Yeah. Right. Cause then you start to see where the money really goes. Right. Cause you, you know, you don't know until you, and, and so the small scale of doing it teaches you on the big scale. Right. Yeah. So, you know, Dov says, make a feature, but make it for like $2,000 or a thousand or 10,000. I actually agree with that. I love that idea. Yeah. I think that that can be daunting for people, but his model is great. And I think that he, he, if, if you're really committed to being a filmmaker and maybe this is just my call to all the filmmakers out there is do Dobbs class. I I'm I'm hundred percent behind it. I think he's awesome, but write a like a play, a one location story. That's a full 90 minute feature with two characters, maybe three, maybe four at the absolute, absolute max. Yeah. One location for like 85, 90% of it, if not a hundred percent of it. Yeah. Go shoot it for like a thousand, two thousand, ten thousand $10,000. There's a book in I can, like 10 days or less. 
I'll put in the notes <laughs> of this blog a book you can read about how to shoot a $2,000 film. Literally $2,000 feature. Yeah. Okay, I'll put it in the notes. We'll do that after. I can remember good. the name right now. All right. And go off and do that and experience it. And then don't worry about it being a big deal. Maybe you'll make some money. Maybe it'll be a hit. Maybe it won't. But you make your first fe- feature and you'll be ready to go off and make your next. And if you don't want to do that, go make a short. Yeah. <laughs> and then you've acquired real wisdom. Yes. And in, in what you're doing. And yeah, and it's through, it's through experience. It's a hundred percent through your own experience of something. Um, and, or being able to relate an experience, which is why, you know, yeah, sometimes like there's a degree to which knowledge can actually at times, at times, it's pretty rare that it happens. I think like usually it's kind of acquired through an experience of something. And then you go, Oh, that's what they've been talking about. Or that's like, like all of those, I find odd times, like I'll experience something and they'll go, that's what like was meant by all of these people saying this kind of stuff for all these years that I've heard. That's a really, I get it. Yeah. Um, but it's very rare in the occasions when I, somebody says something to me or, or I read something and I have that same experience. Right. It's pretty rare that, that like, I'll just see something and I'll, and like the light bulb goes off and you go, Oh, I get it. It does happen on occasion. And that's like, man, that's awesome when it happens. That's like, it, it, it just feels, and it's just because it's like, it's something that you've probably again, heard many times before in some way. Um, but then you just hear it in a way that you haven't quite heard it before and it just clicks. Mm. And then you have that experience where like you really take it in, but there's still, I think some sort of an internal process that's, that's still going on there. it's still like you're taking that in and it's still at some kind of an experience of life that you have had that just this one thing at this one time, this one piece of information or knowledge hits you at just like the right time in the right way. And it touches on that experience and it expands it. And then you end up filling in the rest. Mm. You know, well, I think, uh, you, you, have you heard the term inductive learning? Yeah. Yeah. And there's deductive, like deductive is I tell you the answer. Inductive is you find the answer. Right. Um, and, and I think all learning actually ultimately really when, it, when it's wisdom, when it's learning and wisdom, it comes down to inductive. Deductive is like, it's like a band-aid solution of knowledge. It's like, it will get you by, but the inductive stuff's the real valuable. It's the real like uh, nectar of learning. Right. Um, but, uh, I want to say too, because I, I think that this talk is about the balance of knowledge and wisdom because yeah. like I was thinking about it and I'm like, yeah, like go out and make a film. Like I just said, go out and make a film, but I was thinking, yeah, but you know, you probably are going to go out and make a film partly because of the talk I just had with you, which gave you the knowledge to know what to look for before you made the film. If you just go out and make a film without the knowledge, it's a hit or miss experience and that's fine. Go do it. I'd say if you're going to go do it without any knowledge or guidance or mentorship, do it with as little investment as possible because, you know, it's not so much to get the result as much as it is to learn. Yeah. But, um, 
if you want to kind of start to get results out of your learning, I think you need to find mentorship and guidance as well. Yeah. But just know that you need to apply what you learn. That's the important thing, but you need to learn. Yeah. Like if we didn't like, if we have to go to school and we have to learn, right? Like, I mean, school could be better in certain ways. Fine. But school gives us a, like one thing I like about the school system, we get a lot of information really quickly. Um, at least some schools, but whatever we get a lot of information. We have something to work with. They teach us some basic fundamental skills. If we didn't have that, we couldn't really go and get the kind of wisdom we need. So we need to have a balance. I'm not like, Mm -hmm. I want to just make it clear that it's not one or the other. I do think wisdom and experience is the nectar of education, but we also need the other side of it, which is the deductive learning and the guidance and mentorship and teaching of course to help us get the best nectar of experience. Yeah. So in some ways it helps us, it helps to provide context to when we have our experiences, Mm -hmm. right? Like it, it, it helps us to, it's something that we can draw upon as we're gaining wisdom you know, it kind of, it, it's another one of those things that can start to fill in the holes for us a little bit. Just like, Oh, right, right. This is like this. Oh, okay. I see how this all fits, right? You start to see how all of the knowledge fits as you're acquiring the wisdom mm. and it, and it fills out the wisdom. You can kind of maximize it. I think in that, in that regard. Mm. Yeah. I think, you know, I think, um, really good teachers and mentors, they take basic knowledge and they make it personal. So, Mm. you know, you go and you take something that's important to somebody, we can do anything. Um, you know, uh, someone wants to buy a new car. That's their thing, right? They want to buy a new car. So, you know, you might, you might take them through an experience of having the car. So, you know, you look at the car, you go, okay, well, you know, you want to buy this nice, fancy sports car. It's going to cost you a lot of money. Maybe you're putting it on a lease and you're going to have to pay a certain amount of money month, right? So you're trying to figure out, do I want this thing or not? So I might go, okay, well let's, I want you to imagine that you're sitting in the car. You're sitting in this nice, I don't know, let's say it's a Corvette or Mustang or Porsche or Ferrari, whatever you pick it. You're sitting in this car. I want you to imagine gripping the steering wheel, feeling the leather seats. You, you know, people on the street are walking by, they're looking at you. Feel, feel how good that is. Okay. You know, how much do you say the car was? And you go, well, a car is a hundred grand or cars, 50 grand. I don't know, whatever it is. How much are the monthly payments? If you lease the thing, how much you got to put down? Well, I got to put down, you know, uh, 30 grand, or I got to put down 10 grand, or I got to put down whatever. And the monthly payments are 600, 800, a thousand dollars per month. Okay. So I go, great. Okay. How much do you have in your bank? What's, what's your deal? Like, you know, so we're going through this process. You go, okay, well I got, you know, I have like 120 grand in my bank account. You go, okay, great. So it's a hundred grand. You got to put down for this fancy car. Now it's going to cost you a thousand dollars a month or whatever it is. I'm just making up numbers here. Yeah. Now, now you have, I want you to feel the $20,000 in your account. Okay. Now you only have the 20,000 start to feel that now I want you to imagine you don't have any money in your account, but you got to make this thousand dollar payment. How much do you make per month at your job? Well, I make, you know, $5,000 a month. Okay. You make $5,000. That's why you can imagine how much your bills go. Oh, my bills cost me two, $3,000 a month. Okay. So you got an extra 2000 bucks a month. You live on you, whatever. Now I want you to imagine that another thousand's gone. You only have a thousand to live on. What would you have to give up? So then you start going down and start going, Oh, I'd have to give up this. I might not be able to go out. Okay. I want you to feel that. I want you to feel 
having to say no to your friends that are going out for drinks or not being able to go to this party. And then you start to feel the other side of it. Mm-hmm. Now we're, no one's bought the car. No money has been spent, but yeah. we're feeling it, right? We're going through it. This is like the inductive experience of going, is it really worth it for me to spend all the money yeah. on the thing? Right. And well, then you can, you can do it. That's the beauty of the mind. We can have experiences by just emotionally trying shit on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like really trying things on. And I mean, like for us, we come from acting backgrounds. That's what we do. We try things on. We try and touch on an experience of something. Right. Um, uh, in order to be truthful communicators of it, right. Of what's happening. Um, in addition to actually like discovering things and, you know, finding stuff out. Um, yeah, I th- I think that's, that's awesome. Yeah. I like to go and yeah, really try things on. We, we so rarely do that. We try and, um, we always try and really intellectualize things, you know, and, mm-hmm. and we just turn it into, um, a process of thinking and thinking is a great, it's a great sense that we have. It's, it, it's a useful tool, but it's not the end all be all. Um, well, I think every, you're talking about logic and what I was suggesting was imagination. Yeah. Which but we I mean, don't there was still, yeah. there's still a degree of logic right. to which you were bringing into it. It's like, okay, well let's think about this logically, but now using that logic, we turn it into an emotional experience, mm-hmm. right? How can we use that logic to create an emotional sensation for us to, and, and to f- help fuel our imagination and to picture what this whole thing would be like to put herself in these, in these shoes for a little bit, you know, like, cause you will never necessarily fully have the experience as if you were actually doing it. But, you know, just being able to touch upon it can be effective enough in terms of helping make a decision mm-hmm. or helping to, um, to get to the root of what you really think or what you really feel about something. The imagination is, is, is an amazingly powerful tool, especially when it's tied in with emotion. And I think that, um, you know, one of the most powerful things I think imagination is in some way is, is more powerful than, than logic. I think sometimes imagination, you could even argue is more powerful than actual life experience because Mm, we can, we can only experience so much in our, in our life. Um, you know, but with imagination, you could theoretically try on stuff. I think you, you ultimately just about anything you ultimately come back to, um, tapping into your own life experience. And what I've found with imagination is that my life doesn't need to be so crazy for me to tap into the wildness of my imagination that like my imagination is so much more infinite than my life experience would ever be. Yes. Meaning that I don't necessarily have to experience a car crash to kind of experience a car crash, you know, and that's a good thing because I don't think everybody should learn to, to experience certain things. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like they, like certain things would, you would have to live with the consequences of them if they happened in real life forever. Yeah. And so that's the beauty of the imagination. Yeah. And you know, like sometimes it's like, why, why don't we jump off a cliff? That's too high. We imagine what might happen to us. We start yeah. thinking about that shit. That's a yeah. good thing. But sometimes we need to like trump our, uh, our imagination and just go for the jump and do the thing and face the fear. Mm-hmm. But our imagination is a tool can be used against us or for us. 
It's yeah, but it's there and it's helping, you know, in certain yeah. ways. Yeah. Versus. Right. Um, but you know, it's, it's so, it's interesting it, for whatever reason, a time to kill entered my mind oh, as yeah? you're talking about it. I'm like, Oh yeah. Like I just remembered that scene at the end of, um, the movie where Matthew McConaughey is talking to the jury and he asks them to close their eyes and picture this whole thing. And that like that one, like in the movie, it wins the case, right. And tapping into people's minds and imaginations and giving them an experience of something yeah. to change their perception. You know, it. it's really, yeah. and I also earlier in this talk, I also thought about, um, just to draw some parallels to it, you know, in, in, in some, in forms of, of art, but like also, uh, like goodwill hunting, you know, that scene, we've talked about it a few times. You even broke it down on one of your live, live streams. Oh, okay. Um, the shot of, Oh, uh, there are the bench scene on the bench, the the park bench and, and, uh, Robin Williams and Matt Damon and Robin Williams is just kind of, (laughs) he's very beautifully and poetically like, just like ripping, ripping will a new one. (laughs) Yeah. Where basically it's like, if I asked you to like, you know, if I asked you about love, you would, you'd quote me some Shakespeare or something. Or if I, you know, asked you about art, you would talk to me about, you know, how Michelangelo painted the Sistine Chapel, but you never actually looked up at it. You've never actually seen it. You've never, you've never actually done all of these things, you know, and that's, a kind of a beautiful illustration of a lot of the, I think the point that, that we're making, you know, it's like in that movie, you know, Ron Williams is saying, it's like, I've, exp- I've lived some life. Like I've lived and experienced a lot of these things and you haven't, you know, even though Will had experienced a ton of shit in his life, but there were certain things that he hadn't mm. had a certain kind of arrogance about it. Right. And it's like, until you, like, yeah, it's all, it's all fine and good. There's nothing wrong with having read Shakespeare or, you know, read about how Michelangelo painted the Sistine Chapel, but you'll never have the full appreciation for it until you've had some kind of an experience of it. Yeah. You know, you raise a good point. I mean, and the big thing about that talk Robin Williams gets down to is love. And he talks about what love actually is. And he says, you know, he talks about his wife and how, visiting hours don't apply. And that image always stuck with me. Mm. I said, imagine this guy sitting next to his dying wife and they're telling him that visiting hours are over and he's saying, I'm not leaving. And just that, that put an image in my mind. And I was like, yeah, you know, like I, I've never experienced that, Mm -hmm. but because he gives such a visceral image of it, you, you, you know, you, you start to experience, and I think there's a humility with imagination too. I mean, if you're not, if you're, if you're somewhat, well, for me, I mean, maybe I won't speak for everyone else, but for me, I find there's a certain humility with imagination. Like when, when I imagine that, when I imagine sitting next to my dying wife and they're telling me to leave in visiting hours, which has never actually happened to me, someone having lived that, I earn a kind of respect for them. Someone who had been there and mm-hmm. done that because I can imagine how hard that would be for me. And so to, to imagine someone else actually doing it is where the nectar of the experience is because there's, 
you know, once I think once we see our connectedness in other people, that's where the infiniteness of wisdom and experience starts to really expand Mm -hmm. because I, okay. Like here's another example. Like, you know, you can say, imagine you got locked up in a prison. Maybe it's for totally unjust reasons. You just locked up in a prison and you got to spend like 25 years in there and they're going to basically put you in a room and there's almost no time you're ever going to see outside of that cell. Yeah. Does that mean you can't experience life anymore because now you're locked in a cell? And I think, no, you can experience a lot of life from that cell. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, your physical experience will be restrained. But what I think I also want to point out in this conversation is that that's why imagination is so important because if we only classify wisdom and experience in the physical realm, that that's only place it exists. I think we greatly limit ourselves as human beings because there is a meta experience. There Mm -hmm. is a imagination type of experience. Um, what's really interesting about the time we're in right now is where VR is going and all of this stuff. Pretty soon we're going to be able to walk around in environments that don't even exist. And we would never even have the chance to experience otherwise. And we're going to kind of get a little bit of that experience. And, and, and if you look what the Nintendo Wii is beginning to do or the newest one or the Nintendo, I don't know what it's called, but where you, where you're literally with this joystick doing the exact action, it's, it feels very real. Put some VR on and like, you know, make it very real. Like pretty soon you're going to be able to be in like a little box and experience a, a unbelievable amount of life through some type of virtual reality. Right. So I just think that it's really important that people don't make excuses to go, Oh, well, like I'm in a wheelchair, so I can't experience life anymore. No, or I'm in prison or something. No, it doesn't. That's irrelevant. It is nice that you could go and look up at the Sistine Chapel, but at the same time, it doesn't mean that you cannot experience life anymore. You might not be able to experience that. Yeah. But you can still go and experience art somewhere. Right. And wisdom is not exclusive to certain experiences. No, which is important to know as well. Absolutely. Wisdom comes in all experiences. Mm -hmm. And if you're paying, if you're paying attention, if you're paying attention. And sometimes, like I said, with the teacher that lied to me, they often come in backhanded ways. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. But when you, you learn to actually extract the wisdom from it, like there's, there is a certain level of perfection that you begin to to draw out of it. you know, it's one of those things where like bad things seemingly happen to people and they come out of it and they're like, it was the best thing that ever could have happened to me that, you know, (laughs) that I went through that. Right. It's like, yeah, yeah. Like you, it's, if we could only learn how to be more like that in the present, you know, to like, look at everything has been like, I don't know how, but this is, this is good for some reason. Mm. Ultimately, this is good. I have no idea why, <laughs> but to be able to trust that process, because it's such a hard lesson I mean, to learn. It's man. such a hard lesson to learn, but you know, <laughs> I had a conversation with my dad a few weeks back and, yeah. and we were, we were getting into it and, and he was saying to me, he's like, you know, like, I remember all these things I used to stress out about, you know, like when I was younger and like, not even necessarily like younger as like a kid younger, but just like, you know, as a, you know, as an adult, as a man, mm-hmm. I mean, like I used to, you know, the things I used to stress and worry about and whatever, and, and wonder why certain things were going on and happening and saying, and, and now I just like, I, I recognize that they were all so important for me to have, to have gone through, mm. 
because I learned, I, there are things I learned from them. And, you know, this is coming from a man who's in his sixties now, right. Who's like kind of really like learning how to trust that more so now. Hmm. Right. And so he can share that with me. And now I've got to turn that into wisdom, right? right. I've got to, <laughs> cause now it's knowledge. I'm speaking about it as it's like, like knowledge. I said, okay, yeah, I know this, but I don't know it. Right. I don't live it necessarily completely yet. You know, I'm talking about it and we're exploring these things. And for me, that's, I think a lot of what I get out of this podcast, sometimes I get to, you know, go through and we get to discuss a lot of knowledge with each other and some wisdom as well. Like there's some wisdom that I feel like I've actually gained and can share, but also there are times when I feel like I'm actually gaining some wisdom from our conversations here. I go, Oh my God, like something just, like I said earlier, like it just clicks some way that we, we stumbled upon something or, or a way that something was said or communicated. And it just like, it's like, it does flip on this switch and it's just like, I get it. Well, I think there's a, I also think there's a kind of wisdom that you can only get by talking to another human being. Mm. And, um, it's something that, that is such an amazing thing that like, you know, that saying like, we no no man is an Island. We're not, no one's an Island kind yeah. of idea. It really, I really, in my life have experienced that to be quite true is that I can do quite a lot on my own. I can use my imagination in a profound way. And I think alone time is extremely important, but, um, conversing with another human being, especially about deeper concepts is something that no matter how much I journal, no matter how much I think I cannot quite do it that way because, and I shared this on a podcast way long ago, but we're, we're bringing two worlds together right now, your Mm. whole life experience and my whole life experience. And somehow we're figuring out how to understand each other and, and bring it all together and make sense of this. And even if you don't realize you're doing it, and even if I don't realize I'm doing it, we're sharing our own stories and our own life experiences with each other. And what it's doing is it's, it's resonating and overlapping. Like, I shared before the podcast was on about a friend I was talking to and he had a similar experience to what I've been going through recently. And just the very fact that he had experienced it as well and could articulate back to me what he went through gave me a lot of like understanding about what I was going through, but it, it helped that he had his world brought into it. And what it really did for me, I think what was really neat was it made me realize that maybe what I'm going through is not a one-off and that I'm not somehow like kind of crazy to feel or think or experience when I'm experiencing that maybe because he's gone through it as well, that other people besides us have also gone through it. And so it takes what I've been going through and it makes it kind of like a little bit like, okay, maybe this is just a part of the human experience. Maybe it's not something that, you know, like, for example, just feeling kind of sad or angry about some stuff that's going on that not to say that I need to stay on those emotions, but the fact that I've been experiencing the fact that I've been feeling a certain amount of powerless or out of control kind of quality going on in my life currently, that, that is a part of humility. That's a part of life. And so to hear someone else having had that experience, who's a little bit older than me kind of goes, okay, 
maybe I'm not totally off course right now, but that's the weird thing is like, yeah. I think we can totally just feel off course when we get, when we get alone. Cause you know, people give us a good sounding board. They give us a good, able to bounce things mm-hmm. off of. And I think like when you're talking about your dad, that's the importance of having an elder around, you know, like yeah. natives used to have a huge respect and they probably still do, but they, in their culture, it was built on having your elders around. There's a huge respect for people who yeah. have lived and experienced. I think today in our culture, we, we live in a, a world where we don't necessarily value our elders the way yeah. that we really could and, and li- likely would value, yeah. get more value out of, well, you know, it's, uh, it's interesting. Um, my fiance was telling me recently, she had read this article or maybe it wasn't an article, it was a conversation, but somebody had shared this, that, um, a lot of, yeah, like indigenous cultures around the world, um, the kids, a lot of like the, the children were almost raised by the grandparents because a lot of times like the, like the men and the women, they had jobs to fulfill. They had to hunt, gather, prepare their, they they had tasks to perform. Mm. Um, so the grandparents would very often be taking care of the children, but it was also very important that you had this, these two ends of life Hmm. coming together and getting to know each other, right? Like to, for, for the elders to be reconnected to new life as just as it was important for young kids to be connected to life experience and wisdom Hmm. and to learn from each other in a very profound way. Right. Yeah. No, it makes sense. I mean, actually, so Alan Watts, I've been on this whole Alan Watts thing. One of, one of his you can talks, talk Alan Watts anytime, brother. <laughs> I love that guy. He was talking about how there's a certain point in life where you realize that you have less summers to live than you've already lived, where you realize that you have less life to live than you've mm. already lived type of idea. And he talks about the later part of your life and how your perspective shifts because, you know, um, just how, how, like, like what that, what that is and why that's an important part of life. But I look at it and I go, that's so interesting. Just what he was sharing, because it really made me understand why my elders in my life are so important because right now they have the ability to teach me the value of time. When you're young, he talks about also when you're young, you don't really know how to value time yet because you Mm -hmm. don't really understand that it could be over. It just feels infinite and forever and whatever. Um, and as you get older, especially when you hit a certain point, you start to realize the value of your time. And and so you treat it differently. You become, you behave differently. Your, your perception of life changes. Now, of course I'm summarizing. This is my interpretation Mm -hmm. of him. So, I mean, he's, it all makes sense to me though. He's a pretty wise dude, right? Yeah. He's got a lot of heavy shit to say, but, um, but yeah. So like what I've been kind of really trying on since I heard that talk was the whole idea of like, okay, well I really want to try on the, 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 the quality of what if I knew that I only had so much time to live? What if I knew that it was very little time Mm -hmm. and really try that on? Like how, how might I spend it? You know, what might I do? 
you know, would I put up with as much shit as I put up with? Probably not. And he was kind of pointing that out. He's like, you know, you'll notice that a lot of time older people, they won't put up with shit. Yeah. Cause it's like, they don't have time for it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and they're going to say what they're going to say. Cause they're like, I could be fucking dead anyway. So I might as well just yeah. fucking say it. You know what I'm saying? And so like, <laughs> that's, that's kind of something that I'm really like, you know what? I want to embrace that, those lessons earlier in life. I don't want to have to wait until that point to like have it hit me. I want to yeah. like, try that on right now. And that's using my imagination, but to be more like, I'm going to spend my time the way I want to spend my time. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say what I really think and feel. And, you know, just because I presume I'm going to die of old age doesn't mean I could tragically die at any point. So that is, is real. It's just, you know, hopefully not. But the idea is that I might as well start, um, owning this life and experiencing this life and doing this life. And, you know, I start to think about also the older, the older folks, like, you know, the whole bucket list thing is like, you start looking at your bucket list, you start going, well, there's things I still have left to do. Yeah. I mean, we can start that bucket list at any time in our life. Yeah. My, my, this was my, uh, a couple years ago, this was my trial. So I went through, and I think I shared this with you before, but I went through a thing where I want to travel Europe. I want to travel the world. That's mm-hmm. a big goal of mine. So I, I imagined what if I become like paraplegic or something happens where I don't have the physical ability I do right now. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be able to travel the world the same way I could at this moment. And so it not, I, I don't, I don't want that to happen, but it could happen. It's a reality. Yeah. So I started to think, well, when am I going to do it? Because what if something happens and I don't do it? Like, I'm going to look back and go, man, I should have done it. Mm-hmm. And so this is this real pressure and it's been there for a while where it's been like, okay, man, like it's time to get up and go do this stuff. Yeah. You know? Shit or get off the pot. Exactly. They would say. Right. So, you know, I think sometimes the, the yeah. whole meta imagination type thing can help you to yeah. maybe make decisions and look at like, you know, cause I think it's easy to be comfortable. And I think that's the part of like knowledge, like knowledge is so comfortable. People are going to sit back. I can just watch YouTube videos and people can tell me shit and I can, I can listen to all this stuff and I can be wise without living. But like, I don't think that's very fulfilling. There's a certain point where yeah. it's like, okay, we got to go do this now. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and to get back into, um, just a little bit like with like elders too, cause like not like elders know everything. No. You know, like there's a lot of silly stuff that comes out of <laughs> yeah elderly people's mouths sometimes. But, um, uh, but oftentimes like you, you kind of have to look past some of those things. Sometimes they're just like, they're, they're kind of superficial things that we go, Oh, they're so kind of foolish or whatever. They don't know what's like going on in the world. It's like, well, you got to dig a little bit deeper than that sometimes like to, like real experiences that people had mm. as opposed to like some opinions or something, but real experiences. That's a good point. Um, because as, as you're talking about that, I just thought, cause I saw my grandma recently, <laughs> who I don't get to see very often. We're, you know, geographically quite, quite separated, but we had some really great chats. And, uh, <laughs> one of the things that I absolutely love is my, my, my grandpa, he just, like, he's just, he'll watch the news, like on two different channels, like for two hours, he'll watch the five o'clock news on one channel 
and then watch six o'clock news on another channel, watch the same, same damn stories again. Right. Um, and my grandma just so she, she couldn't be more disinterested <laughs> like in the news. Like she's really, uh, the only thing that she cares about is the weather. She just wants to know what the weather's going to be for the day, for the next couple <laughs> of days. And I thought there's some wisdom to that. Right. You know, like, especially like I could relate to it and to some of, um, my own thoughts and my own feelings and, and experiences in, at this point in my life of just being like, yeah, you know, like all the stuff that's going on, how much of it is actually really that important. Right. And for my grandma who's lived all of these years and she's just like, no, I don't think it's important. Hmm. What's important to me is like, what's going to like, what's it going to be like tomorrow? You know, what's like, is the sun going to come out? Can I go outside? Can I like, in terms of living her own life, you know, the life that she has left. It was very cool. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I mean, you know, I think there's a lot of stuff like, like, you know, I don't know, getting so involved in all of this, all of this stuff and like, you know, trying to change the world. I think sometimes mm-hmm. as people get older, they're kind of like, yeah, you know, there's, I, I don't know. I mean, there's this, there is this interesting thing, actually another Alan Watts thing, which kind of, I thought was kind of fascinating, but he was talking about how like the moment you start trying to make one thing occur, you know, in a way it kind of makes the the thing occur more, you know, like if you try to go like an opposite, almost like right. inf- infuses the other. And, um, you know, I think like a lot of the stuff that we get so wrapped up in is like, you know, it's not like, do, you know, you, you almost do more to like make it go the other way than, than you do like the way you want it to go. And so it's like, I think mm. it's really important for us to really consider why mm. we're getting involved in certain things. Like, cause I think a lot of people do stuff because they just want to be like a good person. You know, it's like, I just want to be seen or like perceived as a good person. or I want to think of myself yeah. as a good person or something. And it's like, you know, um, we're, we're like getting caught up in this, like last American election, for example, mm-hmm. like as a Canadian, it's just like, okay. Like at a certain point I was watching and I was getting informed, but at a certain point I'm like, okay, well, I don't have a vote here. Like, you know, I mean, I can kind of like, maybe suggest here or there. That's what I think. But at a certain point, it's kind of like, especially when like Bernie Sanders got cut out of it and just the way all that happened, (laughs) I was partly just going like, how much say do I really have at this point? I mean, about this election. I mean, why am I getting so caught up in this election? Maybe in future elections, I can have a say and change and and make influence. But like in this one, it's kind of a little too late now. You know what I mean? Like I've been so uninvolved and for me to come in now and be like, and I watched so many people and we all got really involved in it, but it's like, now we're getting involved in it. Like we've, n- we haven't really put in the place, the momentum, yeah. like it's just too late. Like it was going to kind of go a certain way. Yeah. And, you know? and trying to shape and control the whole thing in some way. I mean, that's, that's, uh, it's, it's a very stressful thing that you, that you put upon yourself. Uh, and I think of Rumi, 
who said, um, yesterday I was clever and tried to change the world. Today I was wise and changed myself. Mm. Uh, and I think that that's because, you know, I also think of, um, I don't know who said this one, but it was, we get the politicians we deserve. Mm. Right. If you want to relate it to that, you know, it's like, yeah. and yeah, cause like you can get so caught up in, in the game of, you know, people pointing fingers and saying like, you're the problem, you're the problem. It's just like, no, it's like, if you, if you're in that, if you're wrapped up in that whole thing, then you're part of the problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we need to be careful. I think when it, I think when it comes down to like my, my point that I'm ultimately getting at is I think we need to be careful about people's opinions and taking that as knowledge and thinking that other people's opinions are our wisdom. I think that's, that is the greatest way to confuse yourself and mislead yourself in life. I think that we need to own our opinions. We need to say, this is my opinion. This is what I experienced. Even our wisdoms, we need to own that the fact that that's what I've experienced or whatever. And when it comes to knowledge, we need to be very mindful about what kind of things we classify as knowledge or whatever, because, you know, there's so much, there's so much stuff about this, like, you know, false profiteering and, uh, you know, um, propaganda and, and just there's liars. There's just liars in the world. It's just the world we live in. There's people who are insecure and whatever, and they lie and they do this and they have agendas and they want to be met until we gain a certain amount of self-trust and wisdom in ourself. We're going to be forever deceived by that. Yeah. And, and the way I look at it now is that, you know, I look at these, you know, I look at the American election, I look at the American economy and the way things are going right now. And I go, nobody's going to change that right now. People need wisdom. They need yeah. wisdom and then with wisdom and awareness and a certain amount of like, not just listening to, to authorities and trusting authorities and like believing yeah. all this propaganda bullshit, will anything change? Cause right now, like I, I listen to uh, like right now, every once in a while I tune into libertarian Republican news. I'll, I'll, I'll listen to it all. It's so fucking different. <laughs> oh my God. Like every once in a while. And I'm just like, yeah. this is so stupid. Every time I watch it, I'm like, this is so stupid. Like, this is just so stupid. You guys yeah. are being manipulated over here. You guys are being manipulated over here. Neither of you are listening to each other. Watch each other's yeah. news and then you'll see how stupid your news is. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because like, it's so biased, but like people walk around and they take that as information and they think that, yeah. you know, and I just think like, of course, and then you know what, right now, like turn off social media for a week. Cause your Facebook feeds are directed to give you what you want. Like you're in a bubble. If you're, yeah. if you say you're Republican, it's going to give you Republican news over and over and over. It's going to give you exactly what you say you're interested in. So you'll just build a bubble and it wants that. Like these people who are, they're preying on that shit. They're preying on the fact that you won't look outside the bubble they're building for you. Yeah. And once you're in that bubble, then they control you because they control the information because they want you to be in that bubble with them. Right. It's like, come and be in our bubble. Mm -hmm. We've got a great bubble for you to be in. And And it's better than their bubble. There's no bubble is really good. What you need is a, you need to start getting like your own life experience and a good grasp of everything, not just not, and, and be very weary of other people's opinions and biases. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the thing is too, is that until you can see yourself in, in all of these people that we're very oftentimes tempted to point the finger at, you know, like then we can't really create 
any sort of meaningful change. At least, I guess this is my opinion. Maybe I'm passing this as my opinion off as wisdom. <laughs> but um, you know, until you can, until you can see the, you know, the stubbornness in that you have in yourself that you're, you know, accusing somebody else of, or that you're mad at and somebody else, or until you can see the hypocrisy that you live by the, you know, all of these things that we're always so quick to just like point out in other people and judge in other people. It's just like, can you see that in yourself? Right. Guarantee you it's there. Mm-hmm. Like it's there. And like once the thing, and I think that's humility, you know, that's ultimately what it does is like when you can start to see that the, we possess all of these things within us and we can have a little bit of humility about it, then we can maybe start to create some meaningful change in the world for the better. But we've kind of gone off into a crazy corner here a little bit. Yeah, like it's, we did a little, a little bit. It's, it's so well, I think what we're, I think, I, I mean, yeah, we can wrap this part of it up, but I think what we're talking about is how, you know, wisdom and life experience um, can be informed by knowledge. And, and the thing is, is also to be careful about the knowledge you take in because you can think that that's wisdom and it isn't, you know, like I think if you, if you associate and hang out with, you know, with liars all the time and you have people deceiving you, giving you false information, which I think is happening a lot right now in the world. Um, you, you know, you can have a certain kind of, um, you know, you you can just basically, it can just thwart your wisdom, your life experience. And I mean, you know, there's a documentary right now on uh, a guy, a a black man who goes around to all these, um, uh, you know, white supremacist groups and basically helps them out and makes friends with them. And he's not a white supremacist, but he gets very accepted. And he found out like, he just basically broke down the wall. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's an amazing documentary because you start to see that like most of the stuff that's like the way we believe and what we think is, you know, like people will hear of like, I, I don't think white supremacy is good. I don't think any of these subgroups are yeah. good when they hate on someone else. But if you just go, Oh, they're bad. They're just bad people. They're evil spawn of whatever, you know, the, like, most times if you hear any of the stories about people who do stuff like that, they were bullied and they, and like people who join gangs, it's the same thing. They join this gang or this group or this, whatever for protection and acceptance. And you start to see that there's a humanness in it all that the beliefs kind of came with the ticket. Like if you wanted the protection, you kind of had to adopt the beliefs. So the person doesn't necessarily, didn't necessarily believe that themselves. That wasn't their own wisdom but this group accepted them and said like, you know what the problem is? You know, the problem is, is all the other races. And so then this person starts to believe, okay, well, um, you're, you know, we're the same race and these other races are bad and you guys protect me from the other races. And they, and, and, and these other races, they look at me and they just look at me as bad and judge me. It just reinforces the whole fucking problem. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like, I think wisdom comes much from separating from any social group you're in, like learn how to socialize with any group. Don't ever get too niche. I think any of these groups, like, cause people, I think pass off opinions as knowledge 
and we do it. We don't even realize we're doing it, you know, whatever, but we can't stop people from doing that. Even you and I in this podcast probably pass off stuff. That's like just opinion as knowledge. You know, we just, it's, 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 it's part of our culture. It's whatever it is what it is, but you have to, the thing is you have to, and I'll bring up some Alan Watts because I just recently finished reading a book of his. Can you hold one second? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Continue. My point is, is that it's up to the listener or the viewer to discern the opinion and belief and to gain that wisdom to stop and question and go, okay, wait, do that resonate with me? And like, and just kind of question that stuff because you're going to get thrown all this information and it's Mm -hmm. up to each of us to trust ourselves and look within, you know, and not just put all our authority on everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I was just saying, um, Alan Watts. Uh, Alan Watts. He had in in this book. It was right at the very beginning of his book, doing his introduction. He was going into, you know, all of the books that have been written before him, and all of the instances, and whether it, it's contributing anything new or not, or whether this is real, true wisdom or or not. He says not sure, and and whether some of it will will be will hold up in time to come or not. He's like, I don't know, but, and, and maybe some of it will be taken apart. Maybe a lot of it will be criticized, but that's just kind of what you, you just kind of have to put your voice into it. Like you have to, you have to put yourself out there. You have to contribute to the conversation. Mm. You have to put something into it so that collectively we can all start to go, what do we all think about this? but somebody's got to put something in. You have to put something in there for though first. You right. can't just keep it keep it locked up to yourself. It has to be. And that that is again part of like the the wisdom process, right? It has to be put out there. It has to be tested. Well, you know, so much too. I mean, is like when we when we start to perceive beyond what we've ever experienced like in our physical world and we use our imagination, I I think we have to like also go like and, and understand when something's a theory or an idea, like I have an idea about this thing or a theory about it. I don't know if it is to be so, but it's list, you know, it's like, if you, if you ever, like, if you ever hear about, if you ever get into the whole thing of like quantum physics and, uh, you know, ultimate alternative universes and alternate universes and all this stuff, when you start to get into the whole theory of all that, it's, it's pretty interesting, but you still have to understand that it's all a theory. Like it's not, no one knows, right? Like no one really. And if anyone does, they can't explain it yet. They don't have a way to, to show us and give us actual wisdom and experience of it. So until like, and that's the thing is like, I think when it comes to wisdom and experience, you know, you kind of have to like, it's, it's all very like, it's all foundational principles. Like real wisdom is all really foundational principles, like an experience of what it means to trust somebody and have them lie to you and then find out that you've been deceived. That's a certain kind of wisdom. It's a very basic foundational wisdom, but like, you know, once you experience it, then you kind of know that that is kind of there. You kind of, you know, we can be told it, but when you, you know, yet you can be told it and yet still fall for it, you know? Yeah. And then once you fall for it, then you have, you know, your wisdom. So then what do you do with your wisdom? You know, but I think like if you're working from wisdom, you have much better tools to be able to work with your life, to make better choices, to, yeah. to, to move forward. I think with knowledge, 
you, you have it and you, you're dealing more in faith, but I think with wisdom, you, you get more trust because wisdom's mm. like actual data that you've lived. Right. Whereas information, like you read something out of a book, like I stayed a lot of history and like, I still think back to some of my history books and now I'm just like, yeah, right. But how biased was that history book and how, you know, how many did the victors write that? You know what I mean? Like, you know, they love to talk about the Nazis and the genocide there because it's political and there's an advantage to it for certain people right now. Mm -hmm. They don't like to talk about the genocide of Russia so much because there's not as much of a political agenda, even though it was far worse. No one likes to talk about the genocide of the indigenous people and the natives because it's not like in North America, yeah. because it's not advantageous to what people's agendas are. Yeah. So the thing is, is like when you get history, you know, it's all just a little tiny slice of the pie. Anyway, it's great to know and kind of like understand certain things happen, but like, you know, like wisdom is beginning to question the history or questioning the stories you're getting. Yeah. And that gives you a certain kind of like, or, or, finding perspective mm-hmm. on it all. Yeah. You mentioned something way back when we started these podcasts and it was like, we're talking about like, you know, science and like personal growth things and stuff like that. Something along those lines. And you mentioned something that's always kind of stuck with me is you, you know, like a lot of these things and your problem with it was that they don't factor in experience as a valid thing. Mm. And I really thought that to be true. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, there's, there's, uh, the objective, you could call it the objective versus the subjective experience and how, um, uh, uh, Sam Harris, he's a great atheist, uh, (laughs) who's, who's out there these days, um, who I think is, it's, it's funny because I think he's a very spiritual guy in some regards (laughs) as a self-proclaimed atheist. I'm like, but he talks a lot about morality still in a world like of just like you know, non-religion, but there can still be morality. But he talked about this one point and I think it was actually important for it to be coming from an atheist to say, you know, like the, within a lot of the scientific community, not all of it, I think, cause I think that a lot of the scientific community is starting to think a little bit differently just because of some of the discoveries that have been made. Mm. Um, but basically science tries to make so much of the science scientific method is completely objective. They try and they're, they're so rigid in their objectivity that it actually, um, it actually doesn't necessarily communicate what's happening. Mm -hmm. Like you can monitor and objectively measure all sorts of different things, but you know, there's still, everybody still has a subjective experience of what's going on of what is occurring. And you can't just ignore that there's that whole side of the coin that's going on. Right. That it's, yeah, it's just as real. Well, and that's the thing is like, you know, it's subjective with every person who ever lived and ever existed is a whole nother universe inside of itself. And that's the thing that is daunting to people is that every single human being is a whole universe. Here's another thing every single word that we've ever had or ever created is a whole universe. Mm. There's this talk, the speaker who talks about that. She says, just take one word out of your vocabulary for the rest of your life. You never had it. And she talks about like zebra. Let's just say zebra. 
you will never know what a zebra is, experience a zebra. You have to like this. You never have known. It's just gone. There's a whole universe in zebra. Mm. Maybe you never use zebra again. If you take now start taking other words out, you're losing universes Mm. entire, you know, and so every human being has been a universe. And now here's the other thing. I listened to this other talk. It was fascinating. Guy was talking about God and if there's a God and he was saying, you're asking the wrong question. He says, if there is this God that let's just say is this type of Supreme being, not to say that there is or isn't, but you are trying to make sense of it as though it exists in time, space, and matter. Science only exists in time, space, and matter, but maybe this thing exists outside of time, space, and matter. Maybe it doesn't, maybe it, it created the time, space, and matter in which we exist. So that's why we can't experience it the way we think we want. And he talks about how like the guy who invented the computer isn't running around inside the computer, putting numbers together. He made the computer and now the computer is, and now he's off whatever. Yeah. But like he is not the computer. He's not in the computer. He has nothing, you know? So that's like when you, when you think of the creator uh, idea mm-hmm. and you think of it outside of time, space and matter, it's perfectly plausible regardless of it's a God that we know, or he'd even conceived, whether it's a part of any religion irrelevant, but the fact that that could exist is something that's a theory and an idea. Yeah. Now here's another thing. Take that even further. And I know we're in crazy corner right now. What if there is a world that exists outside of time, space, and matter as we know it? What if there's this whole other thing and this time, space, and matter has nothing to do with whatever that is. So we can't even comprehend outside because we're in the computer right now and we can't even comprehend that. So like when you start to think of the expansiveness of the possible universe and what things are, you just start to get to a point. I mean, if, if you have any sanity, I think you start to get to the point where you're like, there's no way to fucking know, yeah. <laughs> you know? So like, I'm going to work with what I got, but I'm not going to enforce that on anyone else. Cause that's their own wisdom. My wisdom is this. Yeah. I personally kind of believe that there's a guy who made a computer and we're living in it right now. I kind of think that way, yeah. not, not actually a computer, but like that there's some type of yeah thing outside of the experience we have. Cause like, And then I think within myself, there's probably a whole universe of experience that I'm still venturing into. And so like when you start to look at the ins and outs of how far this thing goes, it's just quite amazing. Oh yeah. It's so, it's so massive. So all you have is you, all you really have is you and you kind of trust whatever you experience in life. And then you can believe in God, not believe in God, you know, follow a religion, don't follow religion. It doesn't really matter right now. You just got you. Cause like, it doesn't like, I don't think anybody should ever guilt you into like, you have to believe this or you're going to hell. You know, the way I, I faced that, cause my parents were relatively yeah. Christian kind of like, Oh, there's a God, whatever we didn't, you, you know, we weren't some big time, but I, I remember facing the whole idea of like, well, what if I don't believe? And then I end up in hell. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, so be it. I mean, so be it because I don't know. I mean, I'm doing my best to try to understand, but if, I learned very early that people lie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bring it all back. So now I'm going to trust you with my faith and my belief and everything that is my existence, knowing that people lie, knowing that it couldn't, you, that people tell the lies that other people told them down the line that you might not be the liar, but someone lied to you or someone lied to people many times before you. And now you're telling the same lie. I don't know if that happened. I don't know. So 
Am I going to dogmatically follow something because you tell me I should, I'm not going to do it out of fear. Absolutely not. In, in that area, in spirituality, I am fearless. Yeah. I will, I will willingly go to hell if the hell exists, if that's what it means, knowing that I lived a life of critical thinking and actually being present in my existence, as opposed to being someone that followed something, because here's the alternative. Let's say you followed a religion and a belief your whole life. And it turned out that it was just a big lie. Yeah. That's far worse to me. That is a greater hell to live with. Yeah. Then to then, you know what I mean? Like, and then and, and and that's just my yeah, opinion. And you keep going down the crazy corner <laughs> and then you go, but like, ultimately it's like, is, is, is any of that the, the case? Like, you know, it's like, it, yeah, but even knows, right? like, uh, I remember, um, years ago, uh, what's his name? Rowan Atkinson. Yeah. The guy who plays Mr. Bean for people who remember Mr. Bean. Yeah. Rowan Atkinson. I feel like that's his name. Anyhow, uh, I think that's it. Years back, I remember seeing him do a stand up. I was a kid at the time. And I for whatever reason this this joke was in my head. And now I've thought back on it in more recent years on this joke and just being like, "Oh, that's brilliant. Hmm. That's so brilliant." Uh and it's uh he was basically playing um like the guy he, it was a kind of a sketch. It was a stand-up show, but he was doing like this sketch where, and he had this character who was like, had the list for everybody who was coming into hell. Oh yeah. And he was just like, Oh yes, Like he's just like very proper and everything. And he's going off, like going through this list of everything and murderers and you know, whatever, like, yeah, come on through. And then, and then he goes, the Christians, the Christians. <laughs> and then, and then he's just like, oh yeah, yes. It's like, I, I see you're all very confused. He's like, uh, the Jews were right. <laughs> and, and it's just like, and it was just like, it's just hilarious to me because I'm just like, that's just like, what a great, beautiful fricking point to me. Like to, to be making It's just like, yeah, like who knows? Like, it's just like, yeah, like, oh, they were right. Oh shit. Right. And then it makes the whole thing seem kind of ridiculous. Yeah. I think that's what I loved about it is how, is how he kind of made the whole thing seem so very ridiculous. And again, I don't, I want people on the other end of this when I'm talking about this to say this, like that, I think Christianity is ridiculous that I think that, you know, Judaism or, you know, that it's ridiculous. I don't think it's ridiculous. I don't. I think certain elements of, and the the dogmatic elements in particular are, are what's ridiculous to me. Hmm. It's the rigidness of, of the I'm right and you're wrong attitude of religion that I think is completely ridiculous. But I'm like, but if you're connected, if like, if, if there's something about a particular faith that, um, connects you to a sense of humanity, to a sense of, of love and and doing good in the world and and creating good things in the world. Um, that gives you, um, strength and courage in the world. That's beautiful. Absolutely. Those are beautiful things. And I think you should fricking hang on to that, but it's just like, it's, it's the other shit that really bothers me. And Mm -hmm. I think it's that other shit that bothers most people who take up issue with with, you know, religion. Cause to me, it's like, I don't have a problem with religion. I have a problem with certain aspects that are so heavily enforced 
in the world. That's what bothers me about a lot of it. Well, you know, I mean, I, I agree. Like I studied most religions, I, you know, most major religions at least. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, I think religion's good. Religion's good in the sense that it brings community together, brings people together. They have a common belief. They work it together. They, you know, any group that brings people together for a good cause can be good. Any group can be bad Mm -hmm. just because you're called like some churches are uh, any variation of religion are not good. Mm -hmm. Some people take, um, all sorts of religions and use them to do bad, terrible deeds and they manipulate people with their beliefs. That's why we don't want to just follow beliefs blindly. I think this is my, this is my thing. And, you know, and, and, and whatever people can think what they want to think when it comes to beliefs about things that we cannot know, and we cannot actually uh, come to a objective agreement on based on our experience, keep them to yourself. As far as what other people do, if someone believes something else, let them believe something else, you know, you can encourage them or inspire them, you know, uh, to maybe believe your way. If you really think that your way is a, has really good arguments, then great. And if they don't agree with you, then let it go. It is what it is. Um, and you know, I think that, um, any like social psych was a big part of my studies as well. Social elements are one of the biggest problems in our world. It, nothing enforces the ego quite as much right now as social elements are like, if you say you're a Christian or you say you're, you're, you're Jewish or you say you're a Sikh or whatever, that's ego. It doesn't really matter what, what you don't need to classify yourself. You simply are to believe, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? If you have to classify yourself, that is you identifying you as somehow different. Like, look, we, we, none of us know we're all in this together yet. None of us have any of our subjective experiences. We only have our own. So everyone has their own, a subjective experience. Let everyone have their own universal subjective experience. If you're going to take religion, give it, you know, first and foremost, be there as a community, be there as somewhere people can go, um, help people find some peace and some solace to these big questions don't declare that they must not look at anything else or ever doubt the way you have it. If you have to do that, then I think you're, I think you're totally poisoning whatever you're doing. Mm -hmm. This is my opinion. Um, but I think community is good. I think just because you believe in something or you're religious in some way, you're not better than anybody else. If you think that you've totally gone wrong in my opinion as well, because I think that that is all ego. Mm Mm-hmm. Ego is always going to do. I'm better. I'm more superior. I'm this and that. That's all. That's, that's, that's kind of, uh, uh, it's direct contradiction. It's an abuse. You know, it is a direct contradiction. It's abuse. And I think this comes right down to art. If you're an actor, don't call yourself an actor. Don't call yourself a filmmaker or a screenwriter. Maybe just for the ease of getting through a conversation. Fine. But like, know that you're not know that you simply are someone who likes to act. You are someone who, who wants to create film. You're someone who enjoys that, but you are not that just like you are not your religion. You, you are someone who believes something, but you are not that. And this is important because once we start segregating ourselves, we create problems and we can see this. I mean, look at history, look at everything, look at high school, 
the cool kids, the nerds, the whatever. Mm-hmm. How is that helping anybody? Why not just everybody start to figure out, you know, the nerds are pretty smart. They can teach you a lot of stuff that you're going to need skills in the future. Yeah. The cool kids are pretty smart. They can teach you how to dress, do your hair, all that other shit. I mean, we can all figure out how to figure out how to yeah. do all the stuff. We don't have to be one or the other. Yeah. And you know, but when we, when we segregate and we make all these groups and I'm just getting on my little horse here, but like, that's where our problems exist. Like why, why are we so slow to tune into that? Yeah. You know, if we all just yeah. kind of went like, look, he believes this, she believes that I believe this, we could all just be like, and that's all good. And we're all working it out. Yeah. And if something better comes along and maybe we all decide to believe it together and some other group doesn't, then they believe that. And we believe this and this other group believes that and we'll all figure it out again. And then so on and so on and so on. Yeah. And it's all good, you know, but as long as we don't take our beliefs and start hurting each other and start forcing things on others, we're, we're fine. It's pretty simple. It's like John (laughs) Lennon's imagine. Yeah. It's pretty simple. I mean, you know, but people thrive off of the fact that other people, um, you know, the people thrive off the abuse of power. They thrive off the fact that they can manipulate others. And that's what we need to pay attention to. Why was this teacher lying to me? Why were they lying to me? What were they getting out of that? Why were they lying to us? Because there was many, there's 30 other students, I think, uh, you know, who, who were dealing with that. What was she getting out of that? There's an agenda, right? When people do shit like this, there's an agenda. Yeah. Maybe she wanted to earn our respect or be appreciated a certain way or, or make it look like she was more than she was. Maybe she was insecure. I don't know. But the thing is, is that why is someone forcing a religion down your throat? Why is someone telling you if you don't believe it, that you're somehow bad or wrong? Like what's their agenda? Ask yourself that question. Why does someone, why, why do I need to tell you I'm an actor? Why, why, what is my agenda? Why do I need you to know I'm an actor? I simply like to act and maybe one day I won't, but right now I do. I like to write. Maybe one day I won't. I, I'm, I'm not a writer for the rest of my life because I decided to start writing at some point in my life. That was a period of my life. I just period periodically. This is what I do right now. Yeah. So like, you know, the best thing you could really say to yourself is like, I'm a breather. <laughs> yeah. Cause you're going to do a lot of that. Yeah. You know what totally. I mean? <laughs> friend of mine, I asked him, whenever I asked him how he's doing, he's just like, I'm human. Mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. All right. Great. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Well, this has been a fun one. Uh, oh, no, oh no, the beer's down. No worries. We'll get that later. Yeah. Oof. Oh, there's still a little splasher. But speaking of the beer. Yeah. Oh yeah. We haven't mentioned it. We haven't mentioned it. What do you, that's the first time a beer has gone down, but these are solid glasses, so they won't break. Um, let me tell you what I think. Well, it's, it, 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 to me, it's seeming like it's an ale also with its brown color, dark darkness. It's, um, it's smooth. It's got a little bit of a hop to it, which makes me wonder if it's maybe like a ESB or ISA or some kind of thing like that. Um, it's tasty. I like it. It's been going down pretty nicely. It's, uh, um, it's not one of my, it's not one of the fastest drinking beers that I've had on the show, but it's been a nice, enjoyable kind of slow sipper. Yeah. Um, it's been, it's been a good fit. I mean, um, yeah, I'm enjoying it. All right. Yeah. Well, this is, um, I felt like going to steal an Oak. Oh, okay. Um, 
just because uh, I'm I'm moving this month and I'm going to be far away from Steel and Oak, which was kind of in my backyard before. So it might not be uh, getting getting on as often. Right. So I thought one last last hurrah. We've done a lot of beers. We've still definitely out, so. done a lot, um, and it, this won't be the last. Yeah, but sure. they've gotten a lot of love. So, um, yeah. but this is their Marzen. Yeah, their limited release Marzen. So it's like a it's like a German Bavarian style lager. Oh, okay. Um, but it's yeah, it's a little bit it's a little bit heftier mm. than your traditional lager. Would yeah, because like, yeah, it's definitely it's got a darker color. It's got a little bit more more happening on the on the flavor on the flavor shot. Yeah, yeah, which makes sense. Why I thought maybe it was an ale, just because of that heavier, darker look. Well, hey, there you go. Um, so um, why don't we wrap this baby? Yeah, up? I mean, I think like there at the end we got into some heavier more philosophical stuff, but yeah, I think went, the, hit the crazy talk, corner, I think but. the whole talk about wisdom and knowledge was kind of timely because I mean, when you have wisdom, the bigger questions become a little less like daunting and scary and the dogmatic or bullying of people in authority positions kind of telling you what to believe or think or do with wisdom. You don't necessarily have to just follow that. You can kind of go, eh, maybe, maybe not. You know, yeah. you can kind of think a little bit, right? Whereas like when you're, um, when you're just kind of taking everything like knowledge as though it's fact and truth and, and whatever, well, you're just kind of going to be pushed wherever someone wants to push you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And not all, uh, not all authority figures or teachers or whatever are really all that honest. And, and, you know, as I learned very early in my life that, that that's part of the, the downside of not having life experience is that yeah. you, you know, you might not know at the time and you might walk around. I, I'll share one other quick story. I had a guy who told me he sold a script. This is before I ever sold a script. He told me he sold a script and that he got a 20, uh, 25, 50 deal, which is basically 25 grand up front and then 50 when, when it's all completed. I found out later that he lied. He didn't hmm. actually sell the script. And I based a lot of information on stuff that he told me. Right. But I guess he wanted to look cool and he wanted to be like, uh, you know, I'm a big deal and whatever. Right. Um, so, you know, so I had to learn and I remember having the discovery. I'm like, oh my God, he didn't tell me the truth. I, I was just like, I was so surprised. I carried the belief for years that yeah. he had and that that was how it was done. And yeah. It just really like, you know, so, I mean, just because I had that teacher give me that experience doesn't, you know, yeah, I still like, and I still tend to believe people. If they're going to tell me something, I'm going to tend to believe them. I'm not walking yeah. around going like, I don't know. You know yeah, most of the time then, I believe people, right? Yeah. Because then you become, because yeah, there's something that happens if you're just walking around questioning everything everybody tells you all the time. I mean, that's just, it's awful. Yeah. <laughs> and I think like, you know, I look at it and I'm like, it's not a big deal that I carried around that life for a long time. I mean, I don't think it necessarily helped me. I don't know if it hurt me that bad, but once I started to get into the realm of like, okay, I want to start selling scripts, then I started to learn and then it became relevant because that information was something I was trying to call upon. But, um, I think, you know, uh, it's what I learned through, through it all 
in, in certain ways, I mean, whatever, like it is what it is. I'm glad I kind of started to get down to the truth of the matter. Yeah. But you know, I think there's a lot of things like that, that we have to be careful about, like going like, Oh, I know this for a fact. It's like, wait, I just, I just stop myself before I like say, I know anything I go, have I experienced it or did someone tell me? And if I have experienced it, then I can count on it. But if I haven't, then I have to give it a certain amount of doubt, a certain amount of like, okay, I don't know. But if I've experienced it, then I can count on it. Mm -hmm. And that's, and that's like everything. I think like in the last crazy corner we were getting into about religion, beliefs, philosophy, all that stuff, a lot of that stuff you'll have never experienced. So you have to give it a little bit of doubt because if you don't, I mean, that's just silly, but you can count on whatever you've experienced and you can count on that and you can say, well, I've experienced, I experienced it this way. And you can also like check in with your experiences and go as like my perception off about it. You can alter your relationship to your experiences, but like your experience is still giving you something that you could kind of be like, I was there. Yeah. 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 I think that for me, it's like wisdom is something that creates harmony. Mm. I feel like that's one of the, the gauges of, of wisdom because if it doesn't create harmony, then I, I can't see how it's wisdom, whether that's within yourself or the world around you. But I think usually wisdom is something because as we've been discussing, it's such a personal thing. Um, even though it can be shared like, and, and these things are understood by many people and we start to uncover these things and uncover these wisdoms as we, as we go through our lives. Um, but yeah, I think the big thing for me in this, in this talk is, I don't know if we necessarily got into it so much, but just know that there's only so much that you can be taught that knowledge has, has a threshold, um, that it is very functional. You shouldn't, I, I don't think you should ever shy away from knowledge. I think knowledge is, is, is a wonderful thing. Um, but to know that at some point it, it hits a place where that is you, Hmm. it hits the place that is you. And there's nobody who can give you an answer for that. Uh, and I think of, you know, because at one point I was like this a lot and, and I saw a lot with like, you know, just actors and stuff like that and go like, when I was going to school and stuff and everybody was just, you know, watching people bounce from class to class, to class, to class, to class, to class, looking for somebody to give them the answer, right? Waiting for somebody to give you an, give you the answer. Nobody can give you the answer. Hmm. And I think that's the big thing I want people to understand. It's like no person can give you the answer. Hmm. I mean, people can give you the answer, but it's, they can it's, give you an answer. Yeah. And they can give you an answer. And, but the thing is, is it might actually be the answer, but the uh, thing is, is that you won't know it's the answer until you've actually discovered that for yourself. Right. That's a good way to put it. Um, so yeah, like there's, you have to eventually, I think, learn to trust, um, learn from others, find great teachers. Um, discover the wisdom within yourself. Because I think that ultimately that's where we end up discovering it. Mm. 
because finding wisdom is almost like finding something that you always knew. Mm. It always kind of feels that way. So I don't know. I'll, I'll leave it with maybe something a little bit woo woo. It's like the answers are always within you. Mm. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they kind of are. I think that knowledge and, uh, and learning ultimately help you find something in yourself that you already knew through experience, but didn't know how to articulate or comprehend so well. And, um, I'd say that a lot of learning is mostly just a perceptual shift. And the more you, um, great learning is a perceptual shift. Yeah. Yeah. And the more you find the emotion in it, the more impactful it will be. Because I think without the emotion, if you just try to logic your way through life, it will be a very empty, uh, life. I just don't think you can get a lot out of logic alone. I think you need to, you need to, uh, find the emotional part of it. Like the, and, and that might mean that you need to feel some fear. Yeah. Right. You need to feel some things. And in my experience, (laughs) yeah, my wisdom is that when you try and use logic alone, you, you get, it, it ends in a, in a, in a loop. Mm. You get caught in a loop. You go bouncing from, Oh, this, 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 how the fuck did I get back here again? <laughs> okay, well let's follow this again. And yeah. it's like, da, 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 fuck. And it's like, it just keeps going that way. Yeah. You know, because logic is somewhat of that objective side that we discussed briefly in here. It's that objective thing. Yeah. It can be, it, it, does have a, have a function, but it, again, it has its limits. It has its limits in what it can do. Totally. Yeah. Logic is off, often also deductive learning. Like when you yeah. deduct things, you use your logic, but you don't haven't inductively learned it yet. Mm-hmm. Like that's the subjective thing. That's the experience part. That's how you inductively yeah. get something. And, uh, you know, and I think, you know, don't shy away. My, my last thing would, I just say this, don't shy away from emotions, mm. go towards emotions. Emotions have wisdoms in them, Yeah, you know? Um, and, and I think that we have learned to try to take pills and drink and do all sorts of stuff to avoid emotions, but like, that's just avoiding your wisdom. I think you got to feel a little, and sometimes these feelings are not going to be great feeling. They're good feelings, but they don't feel so good. Yeah. And you got to go and kind of investigate and you'll find there's some wisdom in all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't make it wrong and bad, you know, don't, don't always try to take a happy pill. This basically yeah. that, you know, <laughs> life doesn't always have to be happy and that's yeah. okay. Yeah. But stay listening to the B and E podcast. Yep. That was our show for today. Thanks a lot for listening and being a part of this. If you enjoyed our conversation, please subscribe and share with your friends and family. Or you can learn more and message us at www.thebndpodcast.com. Oh, and make sure to leave a comment and rate us on iTunes. That will really help us out a lot. It definitely will. Thanks. Thanks.